What's happening, people? Welcome back to the podcast. Now, I've just filmed 35 minutes of this and um, my internet connection went or something because I'm connected to the phone and the laptop at the same time. I can't get it back. So I've already said a lot of this already, but if anything, redoing it, I don't like... You can't repeat the same conversation, but I suppose I'm talking about the same thing. So I can probably actually pick apart different things that I spoke about last time and actually make it a wee bit better. So I'm trying to think of the positives, you know, um, but if I come across a bit agitated, it's because I am, because 30 minutes of my life is just gone and I'm going to have to repeat them. Anyway, before we get into this podcast, um, I have a good like 12,000 new followers on Instagram, so I'm pretty sure some of them are going to come over to the podcast. Um, if you're new to the podcast, you'll probably find I'm actually a good bit different um, to the reels. With reels, you're being over the top um, and like you're trying to get people's attention. With this, I'm trying to chat absolute nonsense and keep it interesting enough. So what I usually tend to do when I'm doing the solo podcast is I'm just apps like the, this is me in my rawest, most, probably most vulnerable form. I don't know why I end up doing this, but I just end up telling you absolutely everything that's going on in my head or what was going on in my head at the time. And I don't know, I just don't really hold back. But apparently, since I've done the solo podcast, because I used to do, most of them were guest ones, and people are sort of enjoying that aspect of it. So that's what I'm naturally doing. That's what people are naturally enjoying. So that's what I'm going to continue to do if I'm doing solo ones. That I, like, I've been promising that I'll get guest ones on, but if I'm honest, I just missed a podcast episode last week because I've just been too busy changing the whole business around and fucking going for it with Instagram and stuff so I just don't really have the time um, to also add guest podcasts in because I was doing a lot of research for them as well. Anyway before we get into this episode um, if you're new you've probably not heard of what my online coaching service is and if you're new and you see me on socials you're probably like that guy is obviously doing group coaching there's no way that he has the time to do one-on-one coaching but no that's exactly what I do I do one-on-one online coaching and although I've got a lot of followers off my alcohol videos and um, it's nothing to do with stopping you drinking alcohol that might be part of the process but I'm in no way coaching people to get over alcohol dependency that's not my job and it's not what I'm qualified to do I was just telling people about my own story and my own journey with alcohol so my online coaching service how is it different to everyone else's? Because I'm about the only cunt that teaches people how to actually lift in the gym online. So at mine's is based around form videos because I've trained a lot of people in person. I actually spend most of my time helping people with their lifts in the gym by sending them like form reviews. So they'll send me a video of their exercise and I'll send them a video back telling them exactly what I would tell them to do if I was standing them next to them in the gym. But because I only have to do that like two or three exercises, I don't need to stand and like watch how many reps they do. I have time to help them with their lifestyle and their relationship with food and their body at the same time. So that's why it's completely different to anyone else's. So all you need to do, so I don't need to go into details and um, take away from the details of this podcast um, and this episode is message me on Instagram saying more info and we can have a bit of back and forth and I'll go through how everything works and we can get you on board. Now, this episode, right, let's preface this. Um, if you're new to the podcast, um, I, I, I suffer from crippling Glaswegianism, um, which is basically... I don't like talking myself up at all or like thinking that people 
this is life advice or anything. This, I know people, a lot of people struggle with what they want to do with their life. So this is how I figured out what I want to do in my life. But all I want you to do, or like, you know, you know, see, crippling glass regionism, that also sounds like all I want you to do is like, you should do what I'm doing. Not like that at all. It's, I'm going to go through everything that's happened in regards to myself, how I've kind of came to the conclusion I wanted to be a PT and all that. And I, by no means am I living like a dream life. I enjoy my life, um, but by no means is this maybe the life for you. But I want to go through everything that I've done that probably did lead me to doing something I do want to do because I did really, really struggle and I know it's something that other people struggle with. But again, it's not all lessons that you need to take on board because I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, you, do you need to take speed off a random or in a rave in Cambodia? We I mean, should probably leave that part out. Um, that's probably one of the things that won't help you figure out what you wanted to do, what you want to do, but it's something I've done. Um, so yeah, don't take all of this. Take some of it with a pinch of salt. Um, I wasn't like following a fucking blueprint. I was just living life and sometimes I've done something helpful and sometimes I took speed off randomers. That only happened once, by the way, so I made that sound like a habit. Right, so to give you a bit of background, I know me, right, or what I, what I, what I was doing before. So about 13 or 14, I was all I wanted to be when I was younger was a footballer. I used to run about my back. Thank God this is also starting different than I've just done the 35 minutes. I'm already thinking about different things. Trying to repeat what you were talking about before just doesn't work. You sound bored because I've just forgot about this. So I used to really want to be a footballer when I was younger, right? That's all I thought about. If someone asked me when I was 12 what I wanted to do, um, I'm going to slow down a bit. I'm speaking well too fast. If someone asked me what I wanted to do when I was 12, I would have told them, it's not what I want to do, it's that I am going to play for Celtic. Um, once Henry Larson's legacy is done, then I will be the new Henry Larson, and people won't be saying Henry because the king of, king of Kings, they'll be saying Gavin is the King of Kings. So I wanted to play for Celtic in Scotland. I used to run about my back garden as an only child and pretend I'd scored the winning goal in the Celtic Rangers game. And I would run about my back garden. I had a pretty... Although we were very poor, my mum was on benefits. For some reason, we had a pretty decent-sized back garden. So so this theme of kicking a ball about in my back garden actually led me to what I'd done with um, most of my childhood. So because I was an only child, I spent a lot of time on my own. I had loads of friends and stuff, but I, especially towards like 10, I didn't go with my mum at all. Um, now when I look back on it, my mum's got a lot of mental health issues. Um, like episodes of psychosis and stuff um, and I, you can see like if I look back on it now I just thought we didn't go on and I hated her but she was just she was just going through the early signs of that happening like conspiracy theories and stuff so I spent a lot of time on I actually physically couldn't stand my mum's company sometimes when I was younger so I would spend a lot of time on I wouldn't say I was unhappy like that didn't make me unhappy but it obviously gave me like little quirks and, and stuff um, from not like from being like that from a young age but I basically discovered this sport called freestyle football so when I was like eight or whatever even like early on I used to do 
I used to have like do keepy ups, which is basically just if you're if there's American people that are probably going to listen to them. Good luck with my accent, by the way, if you've not got subtitles like you do on reels trying to understand me if you're an American. But I basically would kick a ball up and down and count how many times I could do it. And so I was doing this before I figured out this sport. So the sport's called freestyle football. It's literally just doing tricks with a ball. If you can imagine like break dancing or something, this is it's kind of like maybe break dancing. That's the closest thing I can get to. It's got the same culture and stuff where people would do it, but you've got a ball. Um, so you're doing like tricks and stuff. So I would, I remember I learned this trick called around the world that I'd seen like famous footballers doing stuff. Um, and I managed to do that finally. And I convinced myself if I couldn't do it 10 times before I went to bed, I would never be able to do it again. So I stayed up till like two in the morning doing this trick in my room. Um, with my mum absolutely losing the plot, but I was like, I'm not going to bed until I do this, mum. So I will be doing this until I do it 10 times. Um, and from there, I learned a few different tricks and I didn't remotely mean to start doing this like at all it just happened I just it's probably only child syndrome I just started doing this all the time and I started learning different tricks and then I started watching YouTube videos because YouTube is what made it a sport it didn't exist really before YouTube um, so I started learning more tricks and eventually I fell into actually doing this um, so this is something that stayed with me from about the ages of 14 to like 22 and or 20 yeah 22 and this is what I this is my hobby and this is what all, all I've really done um, and that's just sort of so you know where I was at with my childhood and what I was interested in before that so I was I didn't make any money through this until I was about 19 or 20. So at like 18, I'm going in and out into the world and I'm getting jobs. So first job I had was, oh, it was in a factory called Lee's in Coat Bridge. Um, factory in Coat Bridge are two massive red flags already when it comes to jobs. Coat Bridge is basically, and I'm allowed to say this because I'm from an absolute shithole. It's an absolute shithole next to my shithole. So I'm from a place called Uddingston, but I'm actually from a, a council estate next to it called View Park, which if you have, if you know what it is, you know why I'm allowed to say Coat Bridge is a shithole. Um, but basically this establishment where I worked is where people's um, hope for, for life dies. Um, it is if you can imagine what unemployment to employment looks like or what the job centre looks like, it is within the confines of this factory. Um, people who worked there were just, all they would talk about is how they spent all their wages on cocaine and um, buckfast at the weekend. And that was what their lives involved. Um, I eventually, after six months of working there, I think, oh no, I've maybe lasted like three months, I upgraded to tunnocks. Um, if you've ever seen the red cakes, if you're not from Scotland, the red tea cakes, um, that is from the town I'm from. Sorry if there's a bin in the background. This happened the last time. Why the fuck is the bin man here again? But I'm going to talk over him anyway. That goes away within a minute, so apologies if the noise is pretty. I'm not shut up, mate. Anyway, right, so I'm working 
in this turnips factory. It's pretty much the same again, but at least you could switch off a wee bit in this one. The work wasn't quite as intense. I remember in the Lee's factory once, I was just putting boxes on a pack. No, I was actually just putting boxes inside boxes for 10 hours straight with two Polish girls that just spoke in Polish the full time. Um, so I was like literally like doing slave labour um, surrounded by people that don't speak English. Um, so that I didn't speak to anyone for that full week that I was doing. I'd, I'd done the full week on that same line with Polish people. I just didn't speak to anyone. It was fucking horrendous. Anyway, then I've done the Tunnocks one. That's just as bad, but slightly less trampy because Odingston is a slightly nicer place than Coatbridge. So you had slightly nicer people with no hope in life um, after that. Um, so then, and by the way, if you don't agree with me or you're, like, you're maybe working in one of these places, you can take this with a pinch of salt, but that's honest. Working in these places is what it felt like to me. It felt like people had given up on even remotely trying to exist. Like all the people in Tunnocks, all they done was go and smoke weed on their breaks. Like that's what it was like. Anyway, so that's some of the, the jobs I had before. I also had a job in Boots. This was hands down the worst one. I'd done that for about nine months. This was the longest I lasted in a job, but this was even worse. So this would actually be, be seen as like, when I said oh, I was gonna work in a, pharmacy people were like oh that's good you need your brain to do that so like that's really good that's like that you're gonna go somewhere in life now like you're gonna be speaking to people and you're gonna be like dealing with like complicated medicine and stuff you're gonna learn a lot like you're going up in life this was way worse I had a, a boss that was extremely condescending she would time me making up prescriptions and then like if I had like one minute less she'd be like oh how are you getting on with that um that's one minute down, oh my God, that'd be good if you get that done, wouldn't it? You'd actually manage to be able to do something for the first time. That's the way she like spoke to me. Um, and then you were dealing with just between three o'clock and six o'clock every day, you wouldn't have the prescriptions ready because you were overrun and you would just be dealing with mums that had fucking seven kids shouting at you for not having the pharmacy ready or not having the um, brand that they usually have for their anxiety medication and just shouting at you. So that was also absolutely horrific. And my dad wouldn't let me quit that one. That's why I let, I, I stayed there for nine months because every Friday I wanted to quit and he wouldn't let me. And some people would maybe say, this was this was teaching me not to quit things. I highly disagreed. The quicker I would have started like doing something for myself, the better because that was I, that's the way I'm inclined. I hate working for people. I hate people talking down to me for no reason. I just don't like any of the way these establishments are set up and to just make you feel like shit for £7.50 an hour or whatever. And it's not even to do with any of the money or whatever because some people um, can make quite a lot of money and I wouldn't, if I went on my own, I wouldn't have been making any more money anyway. But that's just to give you a little bit of an insight into how my brain was working with these things so that you can understand what maybe transpired after that. Anyway, so this, I'm now hitting about 20 or whatever, and I start getting really good at this freestyle stuff. So I'm now at the point where I've started busking in the middle of cities. So I, so at 20, 
I think I'd maybe done this with, I'm still at Boots at this point, so I'd done a job for free mobile after Boots, um, and where I was literally like selling phones. That was the first job I didn't absolutely despise. I didn't like it, but I didn't absolutely despise it because the people that worked for free, they were all like, it was kind of sales, but not like intense sales, but the people in there were like smart and they were like up for having a laugh and stuff. None of the other places, the other places I was just working were honestly what felt like the dregs of society. They didn't even have, they couldn't even have a laugh or anything. And the Boots one, you couldn't have a laugh at all. Um, so this was the first one I was like, this is, there's actually people in here that aren't fucking, like, don't hate their life so, so much, and they're actually up for having a laugh. Um, but I didn't love it enough to actually stick it out. So anyway, I'd started getting really good at this freestyle stuff, and I was like, I'm gonna start busking. So I remember when I was like, I think I'm maybe like 19 at this point, I went to busk on my own, because I'd maybe tried it a few times with mates that done freestyle as well. And I went to busk on my own. I'm so sorry about all of these bin men and stuff. It's fucking well annoying. Why did he keep coming back? Anyway, I went to busk on a Saturday before Christmas and I was there for like four hours. I wasn't good enough to do like a full show. So you would want to do like a three and a half minute show where you don't drop the ball. You do quite a lot of good tricks to the music and stuff. I was just kind of doing tricks with music on in the background, quiet music on in the background. Um, and I wasn't quite good enough to do a full-on show and I made like 112 quid which was quite good for three hours considering I was on like seven pound an hour um, and boots and stuff like that so I was quite happy with that thank god that's the way anyway now from now I remember I've got this best mate called Jamie who still does freestyle and I remember him putting up videos of him doing it in Belfast and Dublin and watching them going like that there's loads of people watching him and he's really good at it. And I was like messaging him going like that, how much money do you make, by the way, mate? And he was like, uh, um, usually about 500 quid in a day and I've made up to like a thousand um, euros and stuff when I've done it in Dublin. And I was like, what the fuck? I just, I was buzzing that I made a hundred quid and most of the other times I've done it, I've made like 14, 15 stuff. And he gave me some advice. He was like, you need to end it with a trick that is quite impressive and it gives people like the idea that they need to give you money and he was like you need a big speaker um, and you need to also plank yourself in the best spot possible in the middle of the street so that people like he's like don't give a fuck about cones or anything just get yourself in the middle of the street so i done that i bought the speaker um, and then i remember one time i made like 200 quid in glasgow in like two hours um, and I was getting a lot bigger crowds and I was like, oh, I could maybe make a bit of money doing this. So I used to, like this quickly developed, I maybe busked for most weekends for a year and a half, maybe two years, say about a year and a half I'd done it for. And it, it got to the point where I tried other cities. So I used to go to Newcastle. This just gives you an insight into like what I'm actually like. Um, so I used to, get a bus or a train to Newcastle on a Thursday evening. I would stay in a hostel for three days. It was called the Euro Hostel in Newcastle, right? Then I would get up at seven in the morning and I would go with my speaker. So I'd have a speaker with me, a ball, um, a fo my phone and stuff. And I would plank my speaker in the middle of Northumberland Street next to, there was a McDonald's and a shopping centre, the busiest part of the shopping road, 
uh, the shopping street um, and I would sit on my speaker until 11 o'clock because I was basically claiming the spot and I didn't start until 11 o'clock because I could only do it for three or four hours and that was the busiest time period. So I'd be there for eight hours, three of them, I would just sit on my phone um, with it on charge into the speaker. Um, I, don't, I didn't talk about this, my last attempt at this podcast, but I remember one time, because I used to sit on the speaker for like three hours, <laughs> this guy started, this mimer, this is just some, sometimes, I kind of miss busking because it was so character building, at least like ridiculously character building. But I remember one time in fucking Newcastle, I had, if you can picture this, right, there was a busker who was a mimer, so like we used to mime, so a, a guy with, a guy who had painted himself who was a mute, basically, or was pretending to be a mute. Anyway, he comes up and starts like miming where I've just claimed the spot and like the busker's rules are just like, once someone's there, it's their spot. Like you can maybe try and negotiate that you can do half and half or whatever, but most of the times it would be like a group of Romanian guys would come up as a band playing the trumpet and be like, can I do half and half? And I'd be like, get the fuck. Absolutely not. You'll just make lose. I'll just lose all my potential earnings fucking having you next to me. So absolutely not. And most buskers, I would say I was quite fucking just. I was. I didn't. I was quite normal. Like so, a lot of buskers are quite not normal, and that's what's led them to do that. And um, so I would look at these people and they try to speak to me. And I'd be like, you can tell these people, like. Do you know what I mean? They've got other shit going on. I'd be like, absolutely not. I like, I would, I was very much a, a, I was like only child syndrome when I was busking. I was like going solo, like fucking there to try and make as much money as I could, cause I'd just got a bus down Newcastle and I was staying in the hostel for three nights, so I wasn't waste, I wasn't fucking about. Why is there so many trucks, man? Anyway, so I was when I was going to Newcastle, I would have a pillowcase in my bag. And I, I would actually put all my coins that I'd made from busking and I would put them and I would sleep in the hostel with all of my coins on, in a pillowcase underneath my pillow in the hostel. That's what I was doing. But I was getting to the point where I would, could go down to Newcastle, make like 150 quid on the Friday, maybe 300 on the Saturday and 250 on the Sunday. Sometimes I could make more on the Sunday. Um, and it, so I could come back with like anywhere between 500 and 800 quid. So I, when I was doing this, and sometimes I was still having jobs at the same time, I was very much suffering from what me and the other boy, um, Jamie was called the one that was t- kind of like giving me advice on how to do this. I was suffering from money dysmorphia, whereas where I was like going in to like do these jobs for seven quid an hour, but knowing if I bust, I could potentially make fucking like, a hundred quid in an hour if things went well. But the problem is as well, is with with busking, like if it rained, I couldn't busk at all. So it wasn't like, oh, there there was 800 quid to be made every weekend. If it rained, which in the UK it does quite a lot, you can't do it at all. So you couldn't rely on it. You could probably get by on busking, but also again, in in the free shop, which I was doing it, which is where I was working most of the time I was doing it, um, I wasn't also, fucking cramped up to my eyeballs after four hours of busking. So there was pros and cons to it, but it was definitely character building. Like I remember 
I would have a crowd of like three people sometimes in Glasgow because sometimes you would have a massive crowd, sometimes no one would watch you. That was just the nature of it. But I could be doing a show in front of three people and then a girl I fancied from school would walk past me and I would just be like, fuck me, fuck my life. Um, because you just look like an absolute degenerate. But then when you've got a big crowd and like people are fucking clapping and stuff, people are like, fuck, that's class. But usually the hot people that I knew walking past me would be walking past me when I looked like a homeless man. So it was very character building that way and a good way because I used to get really, really nervous before I started and then like 15 minutes in, I would have no nerves. So it taught me a lot about that, like pushing through anxiety, because that's anxiety basically. Or like that's what people would associate gym anxiety with and um, so it taught me that like it taught, taught me that you can just get used to something to exposing yourself uh, after exposing yourself to it so it was one of the best things i've ever done to be honest between that and like breakups and moving to australia they're probably like three of the things that have built me and um, the most like just as in like my personality and stuff um right so at this point as well, I'm starting to actually get paid work. Cause, so I'd basically, like, I'd went and done a few free jobs for people. My plan was to do this also, because I knew people that were making quite a lot of money from maybe doing, like, shows at events, adverts, teaching kids and stuff like that, how to do it. So I knew people were making quite a lot of money. So I was like, I love doing this. I'm like the sport, like, I love training. I'd love to just be able to, like, get better at this because I, tra- I used to train every day like that I didn't go to the gym I used to like try to get better at freestyles basically like what a dance a dancer would do I'd train every day I um, and I was like I want to make money from this I want this to be I want to be able to just train and then like live off whatever I make from doing this so I'd started like I'm done a free show at Hibs because I knew the sporting director and I was like mate can I put a show on and all you need to do is like make sure you get loads of good pictures of me so I can show other people and then try to get some work from it and he let me do that and then I was starting to get some jobs I'd like basically messaged every agency like look this is what I do and if you've got any work can you let me know and I'd start to go work for JD and stuff so I was starting to maybe get paid like get paid 300 quid for maybe doing an hour's work at before a event or doing a show. Sometimes you'd, I'd maybe do JD, where they would do a new, if they opened a new store, me and a few break dancers and dancers would be there all day for like 300 quid, just putting on one show an hour, and they were really fun. Um, so that was, I was getting work like that. Then also, every now and then, I would get paid 750 quid, um, 750 pound to do a show at an event. And when I was working for free, I'd be like, here, I can't do, like in three weeks time, I can't do the Saturday because I've got this event in London that's um, I'm getting paid for. And they're like, we need you to work on the Saturday. And I'd be like, that's eight pound an hour. And I'm going to make 750 quid for an hour and go to London. I was like, I'm obviously going to quit this job. So the, it's quite hard because like when you're making that kind of money, but it's seasonal, like I'm not making that's not every day, it's not like Monday to Friday, that's one, That's the, I think that's the most I get paid, no, no I get paid more than that, but it was because I had to go like different countries and stuff, but like at that time, that when I said that I, go, I can't work, that was the most I was going to get paid at that time, and I was like, well I'm obviously going to do that, I make, I make that amount of money in for one day when it would take me fucking like whatever amount of hours to make that working here, um, so I was like, 
I'm going to quit, so I quit that job. But what I'm saying is it developed proper money dysmorphia in my head because even though I was making that, it wasn't constant. And like you could go, you from January to February, you could get one job, like one freestyle job, like one event, and the full time. So you could make like 350 quid in two months, or you could make four grand in June because it was very seasonal. Um, and you would also not get paid for months on end. So you could have 200 quid in your bank account, but know you're, you're owed 3,000 pound. It was kind of like that. So, but you obviously couldn't work in a shop for eight pound an hour trying to sell phones to fucking decrippled grannies or um because that was who my main targets was try to like get grannies to um buy tablets off me because they usually did um and or get paid 750 quid to go kick a ball up and down for an hour at the arab final in london that's what it was. It was the Saudi Arabian final. So it was just me and Jamie was the other guy doing it with a load of um, Arabs playing the drums or Saudi Arabians. Yeah, well, they are Ar Arabs, aren't they? Saudi Arabians playing the drums whilst me and him kicked the ball up and down next to them. And it was one of the best days of my life. And I got paid for it. So you obviously, I couldn't not do stuff like that. So this is where I got to about 21. Um, so... I quit that job and I tried to go full-time with doing freestyle. Now, when I went full-time, I think over like a year, I maybe made like 25 grand, which isn't a lot of money, and it's definitely not a lot of money when you can, it's not like 25 grand in a sat, like in a monthly income, because like I also maybe had expense, I'm maybe not counting like, if I have to pay for a train to go to these different places, like my, I would, there'd be more money going out of my account than someone who's got a nine to five. So uh, you're, I wasn't, I had no, I didn't save any single penny from that. Um, and after doing it for a year, on, on its own, I didn't actually enjoy it, and it meant that I wasn't doing it for enjoyment anymore. Like I didn't really train anymore. I was just doing shows. I didn't actually like doing shows. The odd job was well fun. Like you'd maybe do an advert and it was a different experience. You'd meet somebody famous or whatever and like that'd be fun. But then the next day you'd be like going to do like a gala day um, and getting paid 300 quid for it. And like the guy that was organizing it would be a moron and you, you weren't even like, you, were, you didn't even have anywhere to do it. You'd just be like, yeah, can you just stand over there for four hours and kick a ball up and down? I'll give you 300 quid for it. Stuff like that, like that, that stuff like that was torture. Um, so it wasn't like a dream lifestyle or whatever. Um, so I didn't, I, I realised that there was nothing in it for me going forward. My best mate Jamie still does it, um, but what he does is he teaches kids. So that was, like he does workshops in schools. So it was, you were very much seen as like a glorified kids entertainer. Like a lot of your work would be like, oh, this is an event that's gonna have a lot of like fucking seven to 14 year old boys that are obsessed with football, they'll love um, this guy that does freestyle. So you're very much like, it was mostly events that would be around kids and you would be trying to entertain kids. So you'd be doing a show or you'd be trying to teach them and stuff like that. And if you can, you can even probably tell from the, the fucking tone of my voice that I am not your man to entertain a hundred kids. I can't do it. Like, they would love the freestyle, but just sitting and trying to keep 100 kids entertained just wasn't for me. Like, I enjoyed 
um, like if if someone's introduced me to like their niece or their nephew or like their kid that's like free or whatever and I've have to spend an hour with them I don't hate like a lot of people like I fucking hate kids there was one one child um, I'm I would absolutely happily like fucking look after my mate's kid for an hour or whatever but if it's a hundred of them absolutely not fuck that um, so that is um, that was my why I didn't really enjoy it and I was like if there's a future in this it's going to be me um, having to do workshops around schools or something and I don't enjoy it I don't want to be just like you're basically a school teacher as well at some points doing them and I just could I didn't want to do it so at this point as well this is where shit sort of hits the fan for me so like I said with these I'm brutally honest and I'll go through everything I'm happy to come across as vulnerable I don't know why but I feel like that's just what happens when it's a solo one um, so at at the point I've been doing it for like a year, say I do it for like a year and a half. Um, when I've been doing it for a year, I get my first girlfriend um, and then we only last like six months or whatever, but it's the first person I had proper feelings for. Anyway, throughout this full time, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing um, and I don't know what I'm really going to do in my life. Um, I, all I know is I wanted to go travelling at some point and then me and her break up um, and because I don't know what I'm going to do in my life or I don't have any outlet, it fucking hit me like an actual ton of bricks. I know most people's first breakup by nature will kill them, but it did absolutely destroy me from the inside out. Um, so uh, before I broke up, uh, so I broke up with her only because pretty sure that's the way it was going to go anyway, and it was... Because I knew it was going downhill, I'd started getting really bad anxiety. So, like, really, really bad. I'd never been the type of person to ever feel anything like that. Um, and I didn't even know it was happening to me. But the week before I broke up with her, I remember being at a party. And, like, I've even had eight drinks. I've never not been able to speak to someone in my life. I'm, I'm, I would never say I'm the loudest in the room. Sometimes I maybe am. But I wouldn't say I'm, like, the crazy, crazy bubbly. But I wouldn't. I, there's no one would say I'm quiet. And nobody would be like, oh, he he doesn't speak much or he's not very outgoing. I'm the opposite. Anyway, this person tried to, I don't know who it was. It was just that I was at a random party. He tried to speak to me and I tried to speak and I couldn't get any words out of my mouth. I just absolutely froze, like completely froze. Um, and it was like a knot in my chest. And like I'd started sort of sweating and stuff. And I remember going out the back. Of, of the party and just being like I didn't have a panic attack I've never had a panic attack I've had really bad anxiety but I've never had a panic attack and I was just standing there like what the actual fuck just happened to me there like I, I wasn't even in control of my own body I couldn't even get a word out um, and then for the next week I was like that then when I broke up with her for the next at least five months I was in that state constantly I still done stuff and shit but I was in like a negative thought loop pattern um, about the breakup, about maybe why, probably I was probably overthinking why it why it went that way, or maybe why it changed from, or maybe really liking me to not liking me. All the stuff you would do, um, going through your first breakup, I would just like, I'd break myself as like, oh, it's all my fault, like I've put her off, that sort of thing. But it basically triggered this negative thought loop pattern, and because, I 
didn't train for the freestyle stuff anymore. I tried after the breakup a few times. I just didn't like it. I just didn't didn't like doing it anymore. And even if I was getting better at it, I was like, this is shit. I don't want to do it. I don't see any future in it. And I had no outlet at all. Then also at this time, because I didn't want to fucking like put a lot of a lot of my what I was because I was fucked like I was basically I was absolutely fucked, and I didn't want to keep putting it on my dad. I also then got closer to my mum, and she started going through episodes of psychosis, um, where she would just do absolutely mental stuff, which she'd done before, um. But it was a whole new kettle of fish when I was already completely riddled with anxiety. So she would, I, I probably shouldn't say stuff that actually happened because she has no idea she done it. Um, but she basically would, I think maybe like three weeks in, I didn't like go out on a drink rent straight away, but I went to one of my mate's house in London. Like it was just like, I had a job on down there and Jamie was like, just come down, we'll do the job and we'll just spend all the money we make on the job on going out. That's what we usually done anyway. Um, so we done that, we went to London. Well, I went to London because he was living there. Went out and it was, like, I wouldn't say I was better, but I had a decent time and it took my mind a wee tiny bit off of things. And then when I came home, I had all these texts from my mum saying that um, she found out that I told all my family that I was going to kill myself, which didn't happen. Like this, that she would just like there was episodes of psychosis. She was just she would get insane paranoia, and she'd be like, "Why are you telling people that um, you're going to kill yourself?" And she was like, "Why are you telling people it's my fault and all that?" And that just none of this happened. I didn't quite understand what psycho. I'd done a lot of research. My mum would never go and get a diagnosis or anything, but it looks like schizophrenia. But episodes of psychosis can happen from multiple different things. But I had all of that going on. Um, so the breakup, my mum was doing, she was doing loads of these things. She was like making up people that don't exist and all this. Um, just sending me really fucking fucked up texts. Um, and I had no outlet for any of it. So I couldn't get my mind off any of it. The breakup was the main thing. Like that was the main negative thought loop pattern I would have. Um, and I would just sit and think about that all the time. And then I had no money as well, um, and I had nothing to focus on. So I was just fucked for ages. Um, the only thing I did do is book a flight to um, Bangkok, because that was the one thing I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it the full time I was going out with that girl, but we weren't we, we weren't doing it together, or we hadn't made plans to do it together. Um, and I was like, right, the only, like, one positive is it's fucking taught me that I need to go do, well, if you're single and there's stuff you want to do, fucking go do it, especially when you're that age. So I booked a flight. Um, I also went through fucking weird phases, of, like, because I had no outlet. Like, I would, I would, I got fucking, I played crazy golf every single week against my mate. Um, and that was, like, one of my outlets. Like, we just used to go, <laughs> we used to just get, we, me and him are well competitive, so we would just go play crazy golf. And... I remember one time I took 18 shots at a hole because it's a hill or like there's four hills around it. It's like a square with hills on either side. I took 18 shots at it um, and couldn't get it in the hole and I held up about three families and I lobbed a putter across Crazy Golf 
in one of the shopping centres in Glasgow. Probably not one of my finer moments. Anyway, that gives you a bit of background into where I was um, and my experiences before. Now, at this point, I go travelling to Asia for two months. That takes my mind off, and this is probably going to be quite long, by the way. It might be an hour and a half, but it might be very helpful for someone struggling with where what they want to do with their life at the moment or like maybe they're going through stuff like this and I think it just would be really helpful because in this point you're thinking that you're the only one that doesn't have stuff going for you I'm like 22 and I'm seeing people pregnant and I'm like oh my god like they've fucking like they're all settled down and happy like are they fucked they probably get knocked up by mistake um, and as you get older you realise right it's not like everyone's pregnant now um, everyone has mortgages it's not that weird get over it and, and it doesn't mean they've got their life sorted out at all. So I go to Asia for two months and the five months leading up to that, I have really, but I'm in a constant state of anxiety every single day. Again, never having a panic attack, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't breathe properly. Like I couldn't take a deep breath. Like see if you go, and I can feel that going into my chest. I couldn't do that. And then, so I would also just constantly, I would maybe fixate on something that had happened in that relationship where it was like, where it switched. So like maybe where I've went, like maybe where I've thought of maybe done something that I've put her off and it's came up in my head and I would honestly just sit and think about it all day. It was horrendous. It was so bad. Um, like you just... I just tortured myself and gave, like, you literally like, give yourself anxiety with stuff like that. But, again, you're so young that you don't really, I didn't have a clue what was going on in my head or how to stop it. I, like, I tried positive, I, I would try stuff, like, I would be out of the house most of the time. Um, I think I would try the gym and stuff, I would exercise, but I just couldn't get out the thought loop pattern. Um, and, like, you put yourself back in it, like, even if I felt better, I'd do stuff like, fuck, if I feel better, she probably feels better, she's over it, and then I'll just fucking start another hot loop pattern. That's the way my brain would think. Um, so, what was I going to say? Yeah, so that's... So when I went to Asia, that sort of faded a bit. Meeting new people really helped me. Although I drank for two months straight, it, like, I wasn't waking up with a fear because I wasn't with people I knew from back home or anything. Um, and meeting new people definitely helped me loads. Um, then when I came back, I did have it still, but not on quite the level. It would come back when we would start messaging again. So she would message me. Um, most of the time she would message me. I wouldn't have ever really tried to message her because the thought of messaging her and then maybe not going anywhere or whatever, would have fucking, I knew it would have sent me back into mad thought look patterns. So I never really done that. But any time I spoke to her again, it would just fucking set stuff off again. And I would just keep that to myself because I wanted to get rid of it and I didn't feel like at that point talking about it to anyone was helping me. I'd spoke about it loads when it first happened. So I was just like, I'm hope I was just sort of hopeful that it would went go away. And it did um, eventually. So after Asia, I came back and I, like I was like, I'm done. I don't if I'm gonna not be doing anything with my life or gonna not be making progress or have a career, I may as well do it in other places. So as soon as I came back from Asia, 
Um, a lot of my friends I'd met in Asia had moved to Melbourne, so I was in constant contact with them, figuring out what kind of work I could do and stuff. And they were like, oh, you can probably do it. Like your two options are construction work or bar work. So I came back and got a job in a bar next to my house um, back home with the idea of, right, I'll get six months experience in a bar. Then when I get to Australia, I can get in a bar straight away and I'll be able to get a job. Fucking probably one of the only things in my life that has actually panned out the exact way I've had in my head. And so I worked in the bar. That also helped me loads. So see, even like during the day, if I'm anxious or whatever, see when I knew I had a shift, I actually liked quite, oh, there was one fucking wanker, but there was a few girls in there, a few guys that were, they were all sort of my age or just older, just younger. I had all sort of like, in bar work, it was weird because like that's, you're not above people working in factories, working in a bar, but a lot of people use bar work as a social job and they're also got something else on the go at the same time. So I was working with people that were a lot more like-minded, like one of the girls was studying to be a midwife, one of them was studying to be a physio, um, and it was just a lot more, like a lot of people I felt I had a lot more in common with. So actually, when I worked, I would take, because of socialising with other people, that was one of the things that helped. See if I got new people and spoke to new people, it would take me completely out of being anxious. Like it would completely take me out of it. So I'd done, I, I would look forward to those shifts and then as soon as I finished them, I might end up um, being back in those faultlet patterns. But um, when I was working, I was completely fine. So it set me up well for going to Australia. So the full six months, all I'm doing is try to save money. I was still doing freestyle jobs at the same time as well, because that would, but I never quit the bar. And then when summer came, I quit the bar and I'd done quite a lot of freestyle work and got enough money to go to Australia and I'd booked the flight and stuff. Um, and then when I got to Australia, I got an, I got a bar job within 10 days. One of my friends that I knew from Asia got me a job in a bar instantly. And then that plan actually worked out perfectly. That was exactly what I had in my head to do and that's exactly what happened. Usually it doesn't work out like that. Um, anyway, so get to Australia. So I... I actually wasn't there to, like, I didn't come like, I'm gonna figure out what I wanna do with my life when I'm here. I'd actually stressed myself that out that much about it. I was like, right, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna live out of home for the first time, I'm gonna get a job in a bar, and I'm gonna try and meet as many people as I can. That's, I just wanna focus on that. I just wanna meet as many people, have, have quite a few different experiences, have fun, and not think about it. Um, so I moved in with a lot of people know Michael. We knew each other before we both started PTing and making content. Um, so we moved in, we had, we actually ended up working in the same bar. I ended up getting him a trial shift in there as well. And he worked in there as well. So we're both not PTs at this point. He's in the same position as me, but he's a lot more hardwired and like he wouldn't go out and stuff like that. He was really trying to figure out what he wanted to do, but like, stressing himself out over it every day. Me and him are very similar in ways and very not similar in other ways. Like I'm way more like would go out and fucking talk to absolutely anyone. Whereas he he wouldn't do stuff like that. And so I joined a worked in a bar, joined a football team for a bit, joined a five sides team, stayed in the hospital for ten days and I would literally just go out and meet anyone. See if someone was like, Do you want to go out for coffee and they'd seen me post something on a Facebook group or something, I would go meet them, I would go meet anyone, um, or if I met someone a night out, um, 
like just even a guy that was like, wanted to go for coffee or whatever, I would just go. I would just go meet absolutely anyone. I just wanted to talk to people and meet new people, because um, I knew that helped me a lot as well. I knew like having good friend groups really helped me, and new people. Something about meeting new people really helped me. Um, so at this point, also I think it's good to be said. I think working in because I think the breakup really fucked me up a lot as well because I'd had bad experiences with my mum so I think that had gave me a wee bit of self-esteem issues at that point and I think what bartending done for because I'd been an only child as well I think what bartending done for me is gave me the skills to be able to talk to absolutely anyone and I was already that way I think I'm naturally that way inclined I just because I was doing freestyle and not getting much work, I didn't really meet many people. And um, because I was an only child, I spent a lot of time on my own. So I think it was the first time I got put in an environment where I could actually be my natural self that does want to talk to people all the time. And it built up quite a lot of my self-esteem because I was also in a lot, I'd lost, not lost weight, I'd started going to the gym and stuff. And I got a lot more attention off of girls and stuff as soon as I started working in the bar because my, my skin went well tanned, my body fat went a lot lower, my hair went blonde and I had a completely different accent to everyone else. So I think that really helped my self-esteem. Um, and that was probably, the meeting new people and just like bettering myself and getting into the gym and stuff, even though I was going out all the time, I was having loads of fun. And like, see within two weeks of being in Melbourne, I was like, I, I was completely, like I had a few rough spots as well obviously but I was in such a better place um, and I wasn't really worried about the whole trying to figure out what I wanted to do thing but I ended up stumbling into it. So for the two months before I went to Australia, I st it was the first time I started tracking my food properly and my I, I went to the, I'd been to the gym before maybe for two months, got a wee bit stronger and then never done it after that. But I went and I followed a programme and I got stronger at the programme and I tracked my food. So I actually, I think I lost like, say like, say I lost like three kilos or four kilos before I went and I was lifting. I actually seen like for the first time, like physical changes in my body that weren't just like a bit of fat coming off. I was like, oh, like I actually, there's a muscle coming out on my quad, not like massively, but there's something there. And I was like, whoa, this is different. And then when I moved in with my flatmates, it was Michael and his girlfriend, and another boy called Jamie, who was a rugby player who was right into the gym. So us three, all we done was live and breathe, like the gym, talking about it, go, we all went there together, um, and we would sit and just have conversations about the gym. Um, so. Like over the next few months, because me and Michael were so wired about like we wanted to work for ourselves and stuff like that, um, we, we would always talk about like potential companies to start and shit or like potential business ideas. And I remember, he doesn't remember this, but I remember us sitting down one time at the, at the kitchen table and just going like that. Whatever we want to do, we should, we should at least do personal training because we want to work in something to do with fitness or food. So we at least need to be personal trainers for a while because anything we want, want to do after that, we should at least have been a personal trainer probably or it will give it, we're working for ourselves, helping people and it will give us, 
at least something that gets us out because he was really hating even hospitality working for people out of all the jobs I've done working in hospitality I didn't mind it too much at all because it was really really social everyone I worked with was fucking mental in Australia and it was hilarious and I was loose as fuck when I worked in there as well um, but it also the managers when I was when you work in a big hospitality establishment, the managers didn't feel like the same as managers I had before. They also felt a little bit like your mates, or if they asked you to do something, it wasn't like condescending. Obviously, you still get these people in hospitality, but by nature, they're more likely to be the type of people that are going to go out with everyone after and shit, and actually still be your mate. You obviously can have it's just more often than not, hospitality managers are going to be. Because it's usually someone who's worked in that company in your position before. Usually, if you get a big, uh, especially the one I, what I work for, I know they're still like this because a lot of my mates still work for them. It's, if they need a new manager, it's like, right, look around the, the floor staff and the bar staff. Right, they've been here for two years. They know what they're doing. Let's train them out to cash up. And that's the manager. So they don't usually come with this fucking complex that they're better than you and they need to talk down to you because that's what I hate. I hate that so much. So I didn't mind working in hospitality. But anyway, me and Michael have been like, right, we're probably going to do PT and like that's probably what we're going to do. So Michael goes home after six months. I stay there for two full years. I try all sorts of jobs. None of them with a hope of like this being my career. I just, the hospitality industry, died after summer and during winter I just try, I tried painting right I'll just go through everything that I tried right just to give you an insight right tried painting with this this guy um who was an absolute nonce I, like if he's not a nonce he's at least fucking done some sort of sexually harassing things um but I wouldn't be surprised if he's done outrageously fucking illegal things so one of the boys I was playing football with was like, here's this guy's number. Um, I've helped him do a few jobs at houses. Sometimes it's painting, sometimes it's like whatever, like unqualified, like gardening or whatever. It's just labouring work, basically. So I go do this work with him. The first job I do with him, we're working in front of like a canal and he screams, there's a girl running past and he screams down at her, get your fucking tits out in a proper like outback Aussie accent i'm like oh my god and in that full day he's just making weird comments and he's looking at me going like you're awful quiet aren't you he's like um he's like what's wrong with you why are you so quiet and i was like if only you knew mate you're just a freak and i'm refusing to say anything i am because all i want is money because i can't afford my rent and i have to listen to this fucking cunt um so i worked with him for like three weeks he always he's sniffing he, all the money he's making he's sniffing it um so he doesn't manage to pay me half the time. I remember I had to go to one of his jobs miles away because he owed me like a thousand dollars. And he was like, yeah, I can't come to your house. You're going to have to come to my job. So I have to get like an hour bus to go get a grand off of this guy that he owed me for like two weeks work. Whereas fucking, I remember I sanded for like six hours one day. Fuck me, that was brutal. Um, so I've done that. That was a horrible experience. Also, I've got one selfie with that guy, but fucking hell. Um, I also remember messaging the guy that gave me his number. He's like, do you, do you like this guy? He was like, no, he's an absolute freak, but it's all right when you're skint. I was like, mate, you could have warned me. You were actually putting me in touch with the biggest freak of all time. Um, 
Then in between that, the next thing I'd done, because I went for about two or three months, it's good to know as well, the whole Australia thing is great, but you, the, you shit can hit the fan pretty easily. So I went for two or three months where just I tried every single day to get work. Now, a lot of people come here that can't get a job. I'm like, Are you, it's not that hard. Like Aussies don't work that hard, so we usually can get a job pretty easily. But I was trying every day to get work, and I just, I just had a spell of that being so unlucky. It was outrageous. Like something would just come up every time, um, and jobs would just fall through all the time, or companies that I was going to work for would go bust. Um, I'm just going to quickly put this. Um, I'm going to try actually not cut this off right so i'm going to try put my laptop in charge whilst to do this because i don't want to go back and edit things right and um, because that's annoying so when i'm doing this um this um painting job and i eventually stop working with him because he's an absolute nonce i then do a job at a call center Um, it wasn't actually a call center they basically put up, this is so difficult to do whilst you're trying to talk and tell a story, but I'm going to do it because there's no way I'm going back and editing this. Um, oh, I've only got one hand. Oh, there we go. See if I've done that. Yes. Right, thank God, because I've had such trouble with this podcast today. I've already filmed it once. There's no way I'm going back and editing it. Anyway, so we're back. So after the painting job, I go with this, um, this call centre, they set up like a second department in the call centre, right? They hire five of us and we are just, to, it's an insurance company and we have to go through a script and they're basically said they're trying out a new script to get new leads. So when they hire us, they hire five of us, three of us are from Glasgow. Three out of the five of us are from Glasgow working in a call centre in Melbourne where we have to cold call people with this accent. Now, this only lasted three weeks and I didn't enjoy the work one bit, but some of it was hilarious. So you would just constantly hear us repeating ourselves, fucking like in the most agitated manner ever. So we used to have to go, hi, it's Gavin from the Vision Group. And I would constantly just get Aussies go back to me, the Virgin Group, are you a virgin? I'd be like, I'm not a fucking virgin, Mary. I've had sex plenty of times. Um, thank you very much. Would you like to set up a date to talk about your insurance? Um, and you would just hear I was getting raging. Then also, like we would have to get leads so that we could set up a meeting for someone else to go try sell to them. That's all we were doing. And like everyone else in there would just follow the script to a T and get yes or no answers. We're trying to qualify them and then just get their contact info to set up a follow up um, meeting. And they would just go through like yes or no answers. Are you over 55? No. Um, are you married? Yes. If they answered all the right ones, right? Are you f available um, for a call back this day? And they'd be like, yes. Uh, that didn't work for me. I would have to go to that. Listen, Mary, there's this lovely restaurant on Chapel Street. Um, it's called whatever. Um, I would love to take you, take you out on Thursday. I've never, I would obviously be taking the piss, but I'd just literally flirt for um flirt for 15 minutes straight i would tell them stories made up stories about like how they would say oh i'm from whatever um whatever the gold coast and i'd tell them a story about how i've been traveling up the gold coast and i'd met the love of my life up there and all that i just make it all up 
and then I would get their leads and every time I would be like right okay we'll get that like because everyone could hear that you'd finally like closed like one of these leads everyone would turn around and go out what fucking what what shite was that about you meeting some girl called Stacy up the Gold Coast and I was like I've never been to the Gold Coast I've heard it's lovely though like I would just make up absolute nonsense so that was another job I'd done then after that three weeks into that they were like oh here by the way this whole new system we've got isn't making us any money um so you all don't have a job after this shift so we all got absolutely steaming um on the last shift and then i went on like a three day bender then after that i got a job trying to sell paintball tickets to people you didn't mishear me there um yes i was trying to sell people um tickets to go paintballing um and at no discounted price to what they would have to pay if they just went to the paintball establishment and paid for playing paintball and um, so i was basically selling them nothing and um, to be honest no discount or anything um, and we were doing this in shopping centers and also we done a thing called b2b which was literally just walking into random places and asking them if they would like to pl- pay me now to go play paintball whenever they want whenever the fuck they want and um, so that was i done that for four days right now if there's one thing that was character building it was this job so i get sent like two hours out of melbourne a few times um and like see if you get two hours outside of any of the cities in australia i'm really sorry but sometimes the people cannot walk in a straight line is probably the the nicest way to put it i went to the blue mountains before everybody walked sideways um don't know why that's just what happens over in in those neck of the woods anyway i get to this one in a, in a shopping center two hours south of melbourne before my shift i'm like right i'm gonna need a coffee for this fucking shit and i go into what's called coles which is basically a supermarket like tesco or asda or whatever and i couldn't find a coffee shop anywhere so i go up to these two women that are working in the coals they're facing away from me right i go to them hi um do you know anywhere i can get coffee even like a machine coffee does coals have like a coffee dispense or something that i can get one right so usually when you get two human beings naturally there's four eyeballs right so two two eyeballs each so two humans four eyeballs when these two women turn around to me i'm expecting um at least one eyeball to be facing in my direction they both turn around and all four eyeballs are looking in opposite directions and i'm standing there like eh, coffee and they're both looking in different ways and they're like no no coffee and i was like in a shopping center with about 200 shops in australia there's nowhere i can get coffee and they were like no i was like i hate this i hate this place i never want to ever 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 come back then the next day at this point i've lost money because they actually charge you to rent in the shopping centers and i've made no sales the next day the next day i'm told that i'm going to do b2b at this point i didn't know what that meant and he's like business to business i was like again don't know what that means and he's like you're gonna walk into random establishments and um, pitch to them i'm like great 
that sounds good. Where am I doing it? And he tells me this place I've never heard of in Melbourne. I'm like, great, that sounds good. So I go with this Northern Irish guy. This place, this thing was like a cult, right? These are all convinced. These ones working in here are all convinced that because they've been shown videos of some guy in London who's making like a million quid from selling paintball tickets to people, that they are all capable of doing this. When all of them live, they, they were all living in a house where they were all sharing a room, paying like a hundred dollars a week in a random part of Melbourne. And it was like a cult, it was a mini cult. Um, and like, I'm with this Northern Irish guy and it's just me and him. And he's telling me about how he's like, came to Australia, started working for this paintball company and he's in like seven grand worth of debt. <laughs> That's so funny. He's in like seven grand worth of credit card debt. And I was like, how long have you been here for? And he's like, three months. And I was like, do you have any credit card debt before you came here? And he was like, nah. And I was like, well, maybe get another job. Just, just a thought. Maybe get one that pays you some money. And he was like, no, there's, I just need to learn how to do this and then there'll be plenty of money in. And I was like, you're in seven grand worth of credit card debt. Anyway, we're walking down our street trying to sell paint, but it's, and it's a street full of Asian shops. Now, the moment where I was like, okay, this, this, I can't, I, I physically can't do this. We've walked into like four or five shops. Aussies can't understand me, never mind Asians. So they don't have a clue what I'm saying. I'm like, do you like paintball? And they're like, excuse me? So I walk into this other place, right? Um, and there was there was about 10 of these shops on the street. I'd already clocked them, but I hadn't walked into one yet. I was walking into like the restaurants and stuff. But I was like, right, one will try this. Whatever, whatever this is, we'll try it. So we walk into this shop. There's a Chinese man sitting on the floor in the middle of the shop and he is surrounded by just random things. There's like an elephant. There's actually there's about 30 elephants, all different sizes around the man. Then there's like rugs. Then there's like ornaments. There's maybe one lamp. Then there's maybe like a lamp shade, not even on the lamp, just somewhere else in the, in the building. And the wee man, the wee Chinese man sitting on the floor. And I walk up to him, I'm like, hi mate, do you know what paintball is? And he just looks at me and just smiles. And I'm like, is that a yes? I was like, I'm sensing some interest in potentially playing paintball. Uh, would I be right? And he's looking at me, still just smiling. I'm like, right, okay. I wonder if I can get some card details off this guy because I've not managed to sell this to anyone yet. So after this, I'm like, right, what what can I do here? And I was like, I wonder if this guy can even just, not even if he can understand me, I wonder if this guy can even speak. I wonder if this is even a shop or this guy has bought the premises of a shop and he just lives in here with all the random things he's collected over the last 60 years of his life. And I'm like, the elephant, I pick up one of the elephants, I'm like, is this for sale? And he just goes, no. And I'm like, I pick up another thing, another bigger elephant, I'm like, how much for this? And he was like, not for sale. And I look at him like, what is this? Like, where am I? Like, what, what am I doing? Like, what, what is it? Why is the door open? Are you, is this a shop? And he's like, he just starts smiling at me again. I was like, right, I think I'm done with this. 
I think I'm done with this paintball and pish. Um, there was a, there's a video of me on like a 30th floor apartment because um, I'd met three people who were normal out of this cult who also all quit um, that day or just before me. There's a video of me winging the polo shirt that they gave me out of a window. It was called IPG. Um, and there's just me going, like, go fuck yourself, steaming, throwing a polo shirt um, onto the street in Melbourne, which I probably became the outfit of a homeless guy in the middle of the CBD. Um, so that was some of the jobs. I tried also then worked in a call centre after that. Um, but at this point of the call centre, my visa was coming to an end. It was lockdown. It was this job was as bad as the pharmacy, if not worse. But I've spoke about it before, so I won't go into details. But at this point, I'm really starting to know that I'm going to do PT. So even like when I'm on the phone and stuff, like if there's any break in between the calls, I'm like listening to podcasts about how to start PT, how to start up the business, how to get clients what to do with the clients and stuff, how to get them to lose fat, how to get them to adhere to stuff. I'm like constantly just listening to podcasts at this point whilst trying not to fucking throw myself out the window of the building because it was horrific. Um, but yeah, that was some of the jobs I'd done in Australia. But they, but coming the full time, I know I'm going to start PTing. Like I, and I just, I just knew I was going to like it. I just knew it was going to be for me. I didn't know like all the stresses and stuff that would involve as well, but I just knew that was what I was gonna do. And like, I, don't, I wasn't worried about it. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I hope it works out and stuff. I just was like, that's what I'm gonna do and it's gonna work out. I didn't know how I was gonna get the clients or if I was gonna, I actually remember being, cause I was writing blog posts um, throughout some of it. And I remember going, cause I'd done social media with freestyle quite a bit. I remember being like, I don't want to go down the social media route. Like, I don't want to be talking to a camera. I don't really want to be like on Instagram and stuff because from freestyle, I'd seen how fake a lot of it was. Um, like people just trying to make their lives out to be better than what they are and stuff. And I just didn't really like any of that. But maybe like a month in, I'd just been posting pictures with like maybe advice underneath it. Quite a few people would message me going, you were really good at talking on camera when you used to do freestyle and you'll get your personality across way more on camera, so you should do that. And then that's when I started doing it. Um, but that's sort of everything that led me to it. But what I would say is, like, I think, see, if, see like, when I've went to um, train people in person, all of my chat came from working as a bartender. Like, I didn't have one bit of anxiety of, like, whenever a client came in or a new client came in, all because of working in hospitality. All, like, see if I've recycled a joke, I'm like, I came up with that when I was serving somebody ages ago. Like, or just, like, little icebreakers and stuff. But it was all from hospitality. It was all from fucking serving people and having a laugh all the time. So I built all my social skills through that. Um, then, like, charging people money, like, I'd never once was like, oh, it's not worth this kind of money or was scared to ask for money because of all of the times I'd asked for quite a lot of money for a freestyle. I, I made a course for Power League, which is a five-a-side company in the UK, and I asked them for 10 grand for 10 videos. They gave, they gave me four, um, and I remember <laughs> going that. They had ten, and it was in person, I remember going that. Yeah. And I, I would have like 500 quid in my account at this time. I just knew they had no one else that could do it. 
and I was I just knew that my like with my accent and stuff and my personality they didn't have anyone like me that would charge less. So I was like ten grand, and they're like we'll give you four, and I was like you have yourself a deal. I'll take four. I'm fucking skin. Um, so like I just all the stuff I'd done up until that point because I was 25 when I was about to become a PT I'd built enough skills that it was like it was it just wasn't like oh this is going to be my career and what I love to do in my life it was like right these are all the things that I've sort of learned to do these are all the things I like doing and these are all the things I'm good at so posting on social media having the confidence to do something by myself having a half decent chat I was like right I've got all of them and if I become a PT those those are skills I can utilize that was more what it was like looking at everything I was good at like I I video edited since I was 14 when I was doing freestyle I used to film myself all the time and I'd put little clips together so I've been putting together videos out of fun for now 13 years like that I enjoyed doing it um so that was all sort of how I became uh, like how I'd started doing this none of it was like an epiphany moment or anything um, it was all just sort of like trying different things and like all the different things I was trying was like teaching me stuff every single time even if it was teaching me what I didn't like to do it was still lessons still learning stuff from it like painting I, I would have maybe thought I could maybe enjoy some sort of tidy work every time I'd done like any sort of like labour and stuff or anything like that here I found the people I couldn't relate to them at all couldn't have any chat with them at all um, so I learned I learned to avoid everything I, I I really just just melts my brain and those are the things that do. Um, the last thing I would like to say before we move before we finish because this is going to be probably one of the probably the longest solo podcast I've done. Um, but I've went into detail. I think the breakup stuff and all that will be quite helpful for people because if you go for a breakup and you don't know what you're doing in your life, it's really really difficult. Um, so if you're in that situation just now trust me i know how brutal it is but take from this what you will if there's something if there's anything that you were thinking about doing go do it go go do it straight away even if it doesn't work out well you'll learn from it that's the only thing i could say if you've even got one inclination of something that you want to try even if it's not a job or anything if it's like you want to try skiing or something to fucking work your arse off to go try skiing and then maybe you'll end up doing I had fucking, um, what do you call it, where you do like three months of working on a ski resort or something, you make loads of mates and then you maybe meet someone that's got a business or something and you learn from them, do you know what I mean, that's the way I would look at it. Um, also what I'd like to say is, uh, a lot of these jobs, I just, like, I, you have this idealization, I, idealize, fuck me, I can't say that word, idolation, Id right you have this idealism i don't even think that's the right word um that if you start your own thing or you find this job that it's going to create the perfect life now a lot of what i've done over the last three years some of it's been very hard like i built a lot of what i'm doing like if you've recently followed me and you think it's like things are just like starting to like i'm starting to get more followers on instagram and stuff i built a like massive TikTok following quite fast through the lockdown and honestly every day was just like right how can I make a TikTok that'll get a lot of views that was literally it and then how can I 
turn those views into some clients and I would was distraught about coming back from Australia. So I remember going on walks, trying not to cry because I was fucking distraught about coming home into the middle of a lockdown when all my friends were coming out of lockdowns in Sydney. And I remember whilst walking about, like with fucking nearly tears coming down my eyes, trying to think of a video idea that would do well on TikTok. Um, so there's been times where it's been well difficult. There's loads of cons to online coaching, especially if you're a personal trainer listening to this. Like I, my life is actually easier to run when I work in person. Um, but I've never done, I would never do full time in person. Like when I've done in person, I'm doing 10, 15 hours a week. Um, but it's not isolating. Online coaching is very isolating. So everything I enjoyed about like hospitality, I have none of that working as an online coach. I need to make my, like, like with jobs like hospitality, your social life can run into your work life. So they become intertwined, which can be a good thing because you don't need to work on your social life. Whereas when you're like, an, when you do any sort of online job, you need to really, really work on your social life. And if you don't, you'll just be lonely as fuck, which is half the reason why I'm in Australia because if I, it's way harder to do that for me in the UK, whereas I don't need to try my social life here because you just, people just do stuff. Um, so yeah, like you'll still, there'll still be stuff about any job you have that will be hard. You've obviously already heard this, but even a lot of people probably, because I know I did, I would look at PTs and my position right now when I first started going, that's the dream. Like when I get to that point, fuck me. Like, well, you just reply to a few clients every now and then make a bit of social media content and that's it. Nah, there's other cons. You can't work on a beach, mate. You simply cannot go on your laptop on a beach because you cannot see the screen, so you can't get back to clients. I need to voice message my clients, so I can't really do it when I'm around anyone um, because it's too loud. I also, so I need to like put myself away and be on my own when I'm working with people. So, but the good thing about doing your own business is whatever is annoying you, you can't get away from every single like little task that you don't like doing, but you can change things to like stop doing as much things that you don't like. Or if you start making a bit more money, you can maybe delegate the stuff you're bad at or the stuff you don't like doing. When you maybe get more inquiries, you can stop taking on the people that are really melting your head. I probably shouldn't say this, but like I've had times where not even that long ago, I've had to like block clients that have stopped working with me, but are literally like harassing me with whatever is going on in their life. So you take on a lot of the brunt of people as well. So it's a very full on job that way. But for me, it's worth it. Um, and for me, I couldn't go back to any, even the bartending work, I couldn't go back to any of it now. So that's just, I just wanted to wrap it up with that as well. Like, cause we then, we can then put ourselves off if we're starting to head in the right direction, but we have a week where if you've got your own business and it doesn't go that well, that we can think, oh, maybe I should just go back to working. If you're like me and your brain malfunctions as much as I do, as much as mine does, like working in 905, um, then you're probably, you're probably always going to be better off doing this, even if you have a bit of a rough time or sometimes you work way more than everyone else, which is what I do. But for me, it's worth it and I couldn't go back the way. But some people, nine to fives, don't bother them and they actually quite like it and they like that they can switch off after work and I can't. So just depends. It all depends on you. Get a pen and paper, write down everything. That's usually what helps me. 
Um, so, yeah, hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'll try to get another one up this week because I missed a week. Um, DM me more info if you want to hear about coaching, if you can rate the podcast, all that good shit. Um, and I'll catch you in the next one.